0: We've been looking at Elohim, it's the word for God. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. It's also the word for the lowercase g-o-d-s's that you see in your Bible. And we've been studying the spiritual beings we have been sort of skipping a stone through the scripture. Today, we're, we're just taking a perspective, walking through a timeline. Because we don't talk about this topic in churches very often, We may not have an understanding of what the Bible either explicitly teaches or implies about when and where different spiritual beings interact into our realm. So if you're new, there's two realms. There's the spiritual realm, and then there's our realm, the earthly realm. In Eden, they overlapped, and God walked with humanity. Humanity broke that relationship with God. And in the midst of what we tend to think of as the biblical story, where it's it tends to be us focused and God sort of entering in and out of our lives. There is this whole other realm of these beings. We've discussed some of them. You may know them as angels and demons, angels being the good guys, demons being the bad guys. In the Old Testament specifically, there are many different beings described. There are hybrid beings, the Nephilim, that come in Genesis chapter 6. There are what the Old Testament calls the sons of God or the sons of Elohim. And in Psalm 82, it talks about this divine council where the creator God, the highest of all Elohim, and maybe you grew up in church and now it's making sense. When it says the most high God, it's saying that Yahweh, the creator, he's above every other spiritual being in the scriptures. And the Bible painstakingly goes through story after story to make sure that we know it. But in the Western way of thinking, we've neglected the ancient Israelite view of spirituality. And we've just designated it as God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, angels, demons, and us. But it's so much richer, and it helps us today. So before we get started, um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to run through this, and we're going to play a little uh, history lesson, because history is... Who loved history in school? Anyone loved history? They teach it poorly. They teach history like, memorize this date And you do it and it's it's mundane but when history or a timeline gives you perspective i think it can really be illuminating so let's pray lord we are today going to run through your story and i pray that i would do justice to the the number of passages that we are going to read and ponder and squeeze for all of the juice that they can give us and the passages that we are going to simply read through to gain a better understanding of what you're doing in the spiritual realm and what that has to do with us. Lord, help us to think and process your word as it was written, not on our terms, but on your terms. Lord, help us to stand under the authority of your scriptures and not twist them so that we can be more comfortable Reading them, in Jesus' name, all God's kids said, "Amen." Um, we're gonna play a little game. How? What year was America founded? Taught. What? Seventeen seventy-six. Okay. Yes. Uh, it was weird to me when I realized how young America is as a country, because we kind of just—I I assume that it's old. I mean, to me, I remember being. I remember being a teenager, so you teenagers here. How old are you now, Boston? Okay, so what's the age of a human that you look at and you're like, they're old. Like, what age is that? 70. 70. Burn, father-in-law, burn. (laughs) 70, okay, now watch this. Um, Let's go younger. and how old are you? 12. What age do you look at and you think, they're kind of old (laughs) don't be pressured by your father just be honest about 70 you're being so kind everyone does age different i took up pickleball this past week the greatest sport of all time and i'll tell you on that pickleball court none of the 75 year old ladies can keep up with me okay (laughs) I'm smashing it out of no mercy. The reason I bring that up is because when I was maybe 12, 13 years old, I would have thought that the age that I'm turning this year was older. Right? My birthday's coming up in like 12 hours. And and here's the thing. Now that I'm turning, I'm turning 42. And I told my wife, who's a, a few years younger than me, I said, babe, check this out in 13 years, we can live in one of those senior citizen communities. And that's an eye-opener. She looked at me like someone looks at a car that has a transmission that needs replaced, like I'm about to trade you in. And I don't, don't. It it relates to time because if, if you've if you're new to this Christian thing, you may not realize that the Bible was written over 1,400 years by about 40 or so different authors, and it speaks to different cultures and generations, but our sense of time is so warped because we tend to focus on our own experience. But America, for example, 1776, this is one of our founding fathers, James Madison. He was born in 1751. It seems like a long time ago. Like, yeah, America's pretty old. Guess who was alive with James Madison? You may know this person if you went to school. Harriet Tubman, born 1822, before James Madison. She was a teenager when James Madison died. She passed away in 1913. Ronald Reagan was alive when Harriet Tubman was alive. Some of you recognize him from great movies such as Every B Movie in 1984. He was one of the presidents. When Ronald Reagan was still alive, Billy Eilish was born. America is three and a quarter people years old. Like there's just three people, and Billie Eilish. I picked that because I don't even know who young people like, but I like her song, Ocean Eyes, It Gets Me in the Feels. So I, I was so captured by this fact that America is three people old, and I thought, how many people old is the Bible? In the Bible, you've got some very old people. But today, as we go through this timeline, I need us to understand something. We all start here, because that's the first words in the Bible. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. But today we're talking about the spiritual beings in the Bible. And there's something that actually happens before the beginning in the Bible. Did anyone know that by a show of hands? Okay, some of you knew it. It's, It's sort of a trip, because you're like, no, no. Clearly in my Bible, Genesis, which means beginning, it's the first book. The only thing I have before that is the table of contents. But there's passage in Job. And for all of you people who are sarcastic, this is your way to proof text and justify your sarcasm. Job has been whining and justifying himself. And Job has been saying, God, not me. No, why did you do this? Why are all these things happening to me? And God goes on this massive multi-chapter span of just looking at Job and saying, oh, I forgot. You were there when I made the, the behemoths. You were there when I did all these things. But look at this passage. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? So, so God's saying, where were you, Job? You're talking all this big game. I, need, I want to ask you, where were you? Tell me, if you have understanding, who determined its measurements? Surely you know, Job. See, this is God's sarcasm. Or who stretched, stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? Now, here's the interesting thing. He's talking about when he did all these things. He's saying, I did, Job, you weren't there. Oh, were you there? No, you weren't there. When I did these things, it's when the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy before the beginning. The sons of God already existed. Before the beginning, the sons of God were there cheering on the Creator, saying, do it! Make this thing! Before humans existed, before we had materialized, the Bible is teaching us, it has these little hints saying, the sons of God, the sons of God were there watching God create the heavens and the earth. The sons of God are God's spiritual family through whom he rules and reigns. We see this in the book of Job. These councils that come together, we see it in Psalm 82, we see it in Job chapter 1. It says the sons of God gathered before the Lord, and they're trying to figure out what to do. And God lets them participate, just as he wants you and I to participate. See, because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If we read the Bible from Genesis, God is the first spiritual being that we encounter. And then we encounter another one. The serpent, the sneaky serpent. So all the way in the beginning, before the beginning, we have God, the creator, making all things, and his spiritual family looking on as he makes us. Something happened between then and when humans arrive that we see the serpent. The serpent is not just a regular snake. We recently were uh, snake-sitting for one of Silas's teachers over spring break, my wife hated the entire experience. We had a big snake tank right in dining room table. And it was interesting to see different reactions of people. Some people love snakes. We would take out the serpent. Her name was Daisy. And they'd be like, ooh, can I hold her? Can I hold her? Let me put her around my neck. And I'm like, she's squeezing your neck. I love snakes. Some people would take out the snakes for the neighborhood kids. And you could just see absolute terror in their parents' eyes. And they would walk up and touch it and pull back. Now this snake is a snake that speaks. It's the serpent. And it's the second spiritual being. We know that because later in the Bible, the Bible refers back to this moment as this being the way that evil entered into humanity. So somewhere between before our world began, when God is creating it, one of these sons of God rebelled. We get clues about this in Ezekiel chapter 28. In Isaiah chapter 14, when one of the prophets of God in each of those chapters, they're speaking to an earthly king, but then they speak right past them. And they say things like, you are a guardian cherub walking on the mountain of God. But because of your beauty, you became proud and God cast you down from the mountain of God. And God prophesies here. He says, I will put enmity, I will put tension, I will put battle between you and the woman between your offspring and her offspring. He's, he's looking at the snake who had let evil come in, who had said to Adam and Eve, hey, did God really say don't eat from that tree? No, no, he just said that because he doesn't want you to know everything. But if you want to know everything, listen to me. And he says that same lie to you and I today. And God, the creator, Yahweh, says, I'm going to put this battle between your offspring and her offspring. And her offspring will bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel, which means he's going to stomp on your head. Now, we're only right in the beginning still. We're in the first few chapters, and the next time we see spiritual beings show up, they mess up everything. We've, we went over this as a whole sermon about these guys. When man began to multiply in the face of the land, and the daughters were born to them, the sons of Elohim, the spiritual beings who had rebelled, saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. So somehow, spiritual beings can become corporeal beings, physical beings, and make babies with women, but God did not like that. This is where the race of giants came from, when we read later with David and Goliath and his brothers in Gath, and this is why when God sent Joshua and Moses into the promised land, he would tell some of them, go into these cities and wipe them all out, because he was wiping out the descendants of these hybridized spirit flesh beings. And God said, these aren't my creation. These are an abhorrent creation. These are a wrong creation, so we're gonna wipe them totally out. Now these specific sons of God, the ones that rebelled, and tried to start their own spiritual family that went against God's spiritual family. It says in the book of Jude that these, these angels who didn't stay within their own position of authority, but they left their proper dwelling in the spiritual realm, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So God, when he saw these sons of God rebel and try to make their own spiritual family, he says, I am going to lock them up and they're not coming out until the judgment day. So that's where one group of spiritual rebellions are. Now, the Most High God story unfolds and you have Genesis 3 with the serpent. You have Genesis 6, those creepy guys we just read about. And now we jump up to Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. And this is the cycle that history repeats itself on where human beings say, we are gonna make our own way. We are gonna partner with anybody besides the Creator God. And when they did that, God separated them all over the land. It says he scattered them so that they couldn't work together. And he gave them all different languages. And we get this weird insight in Deuteronomy 32 as to why he chose a certain number of groups. And here's what it says. When looking back at at chapter 11 of Genesis, Moses is telling us, when the most high, the highest Elohim, the creator God, gave the nations their inheritance, he divided mankind So when he separated humans, he divided them. He fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. The rebellious sons, the other spiritual beings. God said, I'm separating you, and we're gonna separate this out, and each of the sons of God is going to rule an area, but my portion, the Lord's portion, Jacob, his allotted inheritance, So God says, you all are gonna manage these people for me, and I'm going to manage Israel. I'm going to manage my people, and we're gonna see how this plays out. Because the spiritual rebellion had already begun. The spiritual rebellion began in Genesis three, and then it continued when some of the beings came and they made their own offspring in Genesis six. And then in Genesis 11, you, you don't see it in the scripture, so I don't, I don't need to mention it much, but there are what are called deuterocanonical books and the apocryphal books that some of you, if, how many of you were raised Catholic? Some of you raised Catholic? Okay, I'm sorry, we'll pray for you. Okay. No, it's okay. I, I know what it is. My, my whole Filipino side was Catholic. But you have these other books, and one of them is the book of Enoch that talks about how during the times of Babel, there were spiritual beings that, according to Enoch, now this is not the Bible, but it is these are books that the biblical people would have been familiar with. Okay, are you tracking? So not scripture, but the, the books would have been widely read. These scrolls would have been widely read by the people who were involved in the scriptures. And it says that it was the sons of God who had rebelled that taught human beings how to make certain weapons and stirred up warfare. And this was part of the whole process. And then when God says, we're done with this, I'm going to separate you all and i Israel is mine, and you're all running these other areas. And you see glimpses in Psalm 82. It's God the creator speaking to these sons of God. And he says, you have governed and judged wrongly and wickedly. Because of that, you will be judged. And because of because the way that you have run your nation, you will die. Like any prince of earth, you're going to die now because you have been unfaithful to what I have told you to do. Now God is doing all this, managing the spiritual realm, these beings that are rebelling here to to make babies, these beings who are trying to stir up strife and murder and war, and God's separating them, and he's saying, look, I'm still going to let you participate in this. So when someone says, I am too bad to be used by God, God used fallen spiritual beings to accomplish his will, and we have these amazing glimpses throughout the scripture, throughout the Old Testament specifically, because all of that is just right here. That's everything I said. That first little spirit show up there. And then you have when Jacob wrestles God and God breaks his hip. Then you have when God shows up to Moses in the burning bush and there's this spiritual experience where God says, or where Moses says, who's in that bush? And God says, I am the I am. I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I'm telling you to go set, set my people free. And when God sends Moses in, and in the study guide this week online, you'll notice, and unfortunately it's a blurry picture. I took a picture out of one of my back of my Bibles. It shows you how when Moses went, every one of the ten plagues that Moses brought to Egypt literally dismantles one of the Egyptian gods that they worshipped. The God of the Nile, the God of the harvest, the God of the sky, the God of light, the God of of rain, the God of, of hail and thunder and storms. And God just says, just so there's no confusion. And the Israelites knew this. The Israelites would have seen it plain as day because the Egyptians had statues and they would honor and revere their gods for the area of nature that they had power over. And God sends Moses in just one by one. I'm taking down every one of your gods. Now you may argue, well, those were just statues perhaps. Maybe they were. Maybe they were Elohim. What the Bible calls a lowercase g-o-d-s because God is the most high God. It's why the Bible goes through painstaking details to say he is the Lord of lords, which means he is the Lord of all of the lords of heaven, the most high Elohim, and he's the king of kings. He rules all the rulers of earth. It's redundant if there were no other Elohim to be referenced against and in light of. Now, what happens throughout here is we have all these stories, and we get to Daniel with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And four go in the fire and a spiritual person pops up in there. We looked at that last week, the angel of the Lord. We have Daniel when he's praying and Gabriel comes and delivers the answer to the prayer and says, I was trying to get here earlier. I've been held up for 21 days. I'm sorry. But the prince of the air of Persia, the prince of the air of Persia, a spiritual being who governs Persia stopped me and I couldn't get through until Prince Michael came and then I could make it through. Now you may have grown up in church and been like, what? I've never heard of any of this. It's because what we do with the Bible is passages that make pastors uncomfortable, we just avoid them. We skip over them. And it's not right. We ought to let the Bible stand on its own. We, we should submit to what the Bible says and instead of seeing an uncomfortable passage and being like, me, we should maybe do what I've been doing the last good chunk of months. If there's something really weird in the Bible, like really weird, I just study it more because it's probably important. See, it's easy if I were just to get up here and say all the things that we know. You should love your neighbor. Thank you, Captain Obvious. What's weird is when I tell somebody, and maybe this is your first week here, and I'm like, yeah, there's a spiritual being that was over Persia, and then Gabriel snuck through when Michael came, and then Gabriel's like, i got to get back up there because the prince of the Air of Greece is going to join the prince of the Air of Persia, and Michael's about to throw down. I don't know what Gabriel does up there. He's like a postman, but he's probably pretty strong, okay? He, all you see him is delivering messages in the Bible. Bop, 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 bop. But this is in the Word. And then we move through a few more of these encounters with spiritual beings, whether they're the good guys or the bad guys, Isaiah sees a vision of God's throne and these weird winged creatures with six wings covering their face and their feet and their body, flying, screaming, holy, holy, holy. And then Ezekiel seeing these creatures that there's spinning things and eyeballs and uh, faces of a man and a, a beast and an eagle, like all these things and these visions and these appearances of spiritual beings. And then it all goes quiet. Now some of you, if you grew up in the church, If I were to ask you, you can find out exactly who grew up in the church. When Satan fell, how many angels did Satan take with him? It's a fraction. A third. third. We've all heard that, right? A third. He took a third. A third. And I'm like, "Where, where does it say that in the Bible? Nowhere. Some of you right now are like, Googling this right now. I'm going to prove you wrong. I'll tell you where it comes from. Exactly. There's one place that mentions that Satan took a third of the angels with him, but it's not when he fell. It's not when he fell. The only place, and you Google it, fact check me, whatever snopes this, I don't know what you're going to do. Revelation 12 is the only place that mentions it. And the context of Revelation 12 is extremely important because you may be thinking, okay, I just thought it was a nice, like, you know, a third of them rebelled with Satan. And then they've just sort of been mucking up the world ever since. No, it's much more nuanced than that. Just like human beings don't all operate on a very like, well, we all fell right here, like humanity fell right here. But you weren't born yet. I wasn't born yet. Now the the one-third comes from this passage. This is the passage where it comes from. And in, in this passage in Revelation, the context is, well, let's just read it together. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun. This is Mary. With the moon under her feet, and on her head the crown of twelve stars, she was pregnant. What was she? Pregnant. And was crying out in birth pangs, and agony giving birth. So Revelation is this vision. We studied it two books ago, three series ago, whatever it was. Remember, Revelation is primarily a, a picture book to strike awe and revelation of who Jesus is for us, many of the Western church has treated it like a puzzle book. We want to figure out if these are Apache helicopters and tanks and all these things. But the picture is clear. The woman is about to give birth. And this dragon is there. And another sign in heaven appeared. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, represented all of the evil kingdoms. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven. That's where this comes from. Now, In the context of just what this vision is showing, it's showing the woman giving birth. And we're like, okay, well, how do we know that's Jesus and Mary? Like, that's a weird vision, because then there's this dragon, heads, crowns, all these weird things going on. Well, his, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Hmm... She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Now it's getting specific and more familiar. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. So here we have this interesting moment where the birth of Jesus is coming upon us and the dragon at the impending birth says something is going on what are we going to do and he gets a third of the angels to fall and follow him and war arose in heaven Michael I can't wait to meet Michael I feel like he's just like Shaq but shredded and like a sore I'm I'm very excited very excited okay um, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven And then the passage just keeps on moving along. And it's like, wait, what? Now here's what's interesting that I don't think we've thought deeply enough about. Why? Why? Why did God make spiritual beings? This is what I do in my brain. Why would would God not just make humans? Well, there's a reason that he wanted to make spiritual beings. We know that he created some to be ministering servants to those who would inherit salvation. But, but what's interesting to me, because the next question is not only why would he make spiritual beings, because God could do whatever he wants. We ultimately have to land on that answer for that particular question. The next question that you ought to be asking is why would he make spiritual beings that he knew would rebel? Like if he knew they would rebel, why not just make the good ones? As a matter of fact, I think he should do that with humans. We'd all be dead. No one would exist. So what is the Why? And why would they get so upset and want to cause all of this drama? You see, Satan wanted to be like God. In Ezekiel 28, we learn this. What was his pitch to Adam and Eve? Hey, God doesn't want you to eat that fruit because then you'll be like him. See, Satan already made the fatal error of saying, I can ascend beyond my station, but what the spiritual beings don't have, that you and I have, is this incredible plan. Imagine you were the first spiritual family. You're up there in heaven. Remember, angels don't have wings, that's just in fiction. The only beings that have wings are the throne room creatures, cherubim, seraphim, and the living creatures in Revelation. They're up there with all the other hosts of the spiritual beings, the sons of God, and they're like, we're a spiritual family. Yahweh calls us his sons this is great and God's like watch this I'm gonna make some new sons like wait wait whoa 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 last night I was at my mom's house there's three of us brothers and my little brother's here on leave for a little bit and we're all grown men now okay I'm the strongest best looking smartest one of the three of us and we're all there and inevitably every time we get together the same question comes up mom Uh uh-huh. And the two younger ones, the noobs, those, I mean, my youngest brother, he's basically a fetus. He's like 24 years old. They go, I'm going to sit by mom. I'm going to get closer because I'm her favorite. And I say, you guys can have it. You know, I, I understand I'm always just her second favorite. And then mom looks over at me and gives me that look. No, don't tell your brothers Ryan, but you're my favorite. She gives, you know, the look, the look that she gives the mom. In my heart, just, and then they flip flop. They fight all about it. I'm the, favorite, I'm the favorite, I'm the favorite, My mom, my mom got this cup that my wife made her that says, Navy mom, proud Navy mom, proud Army mom, proud pastor's mom. I do feel a little, you know, that's like, they, they're like, I'll give my life for the country. And I was like, yeah, but Jesus, boom, your souls need Jesus. Anyway, um, my mom will put the lid with the straw and guess which way the straw is always facing? Pastor's mom. Uh-huh. So my little brothers, two fetuses, they can argue all they want. And I just play it cool. You know who my mom calls when she needs help? Not those clowns. Mm-mm. You see, why would the spiritual beings rebel? They were a spiritual family. And then God does something he didn't do with them. He creates the form of a human. And it says that he He breathed to spirit. And the the word for spirit in the Old Testament is ruach. It's the same word for spirit, breath, and wind. The exact same word. In in the New Testament, it's pneuma. And it said God ruached into humans. He gave us the breath of life. His very essence was what gave us animation and the ability to think and to feel and to experience. These sons of God don't have that. And then all of a sudden, God says, I'm going to make you in my image. You humans are going to be in my image. What does that mean? Like, does God look like us? Remember, it's us collectively. There's something about us together that we reflect who God is. And it's beautiful. And that's when you have the first rebellion. And you have these spiritual beings that say, I want to be like God. That's first Satan. And he falls, Lucifer, the morning star. Then you have these other beings in Genesis 6 that said, well, if God can make people, we're going to make our own people. And God said, no, 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 no. You're going to be in prison. I'm going to wipe them out with my people. And then the people get dispersed all over the land. And then you have these little blips until right before Jesus. Now, if you're unfamiliar with with Christian theology and Christian history, Jesus, prior to being called Yeshua, was the word of the Lord. In John 1, it says, in the beginning was the word. The word was was with God and was God. Was God was with God. So Jesus existed before he was born. He is through Jesus that all of the earth was created. It's this Trinity thing, the Father, Son, Spirit. So all of the spiritual beings knew Jesus. We know that because when he is in the flesh walking around, somebody that's possessed by an evil spirit will see Jesus and say, it's not our time. Is it our time? Don't hurt me. Are you gonna hurt me? And they know Jesus. They've seen Jesus. They've walked and known Jesus since before the beginning because it was through Jesus they were created. And now when this spiritual being, the word of God, is about to take on flesh, it is in that moment that all of a sudden, Satan rallies. He says, you guys, something's going on. Yahweh, the big guy, the most high, he's about to send the word into their human experience. Something is happening, and we can't let it happen. Now does Romans 12 make much more sense? They don't want whatever God is up to to happen. They don't want this plan because they succeeded in getting humans torn apart from relationship with God. And then God's been on this multi-century year journey of saying, look, I'm going to get you back. I'm going I promise you, I'm sending something. It's this plan. No one's going to see it coming. And nobody did see it coming. When Jesus was born, nobody saw it coming. The angels delivered the message. Their spiritual being encountered right there. The heavenly hosts sing over the fields where the shepherds are there at night. The stars guide the star guides the wise men. You may think that's just astrology, but we should point out that ancient Israelite beliefs—they thought that stars were where celestial beings inhabited—and then all of a sudden, we have Yahweh, the Creator, comes down in the meat, in the flesh, vulnerable, touchable. I don't know if you've thought about how. Fascinating it is that the the person who created rocks could now stub his toe on a rock. It just bewilders me. And maybe he didn't. Maybe he was just like the rock was like gotcha, and he goes floating through it. I don't know. But it's, it's bewildering that he would make himself vulnerable. These beings, these spiritual beings, are stronger than us. They've been around longer than us. The evil ones have been conniving their entire existence since they fell. The good ones have been supporting God, pointing to God since the beginning. And now we have the Most High God coming into a fragile human form. And the rebellious beings, they want to know what's going on. The rebellious beings... Are watching now when Jesus dies and this is Satan's gotcha moment. Satan's thinking Yahweh you came down and put yourself in one of these flesh bags. You're dead. Satan attempted Jesus in the wilderness and the whole time Satan thinks he's getting Jesus. The S- Satan thinks he's getting the upper hand on God whom he's been trying to get the upper hand on since he fell from the mountain of God and then Jesus is whispering these little whispers. Look you guys it's better for you that I go because I'm sending someone, and it's more important for you. I mean, if you tell me that, I'm like, no, no. Jesus, I just watched you borrow a kid's lunchbox and feed 10,000 people. You're you're not leaving us. He says, it's better for you. And the biggest spiritual experience of spiritual beings invading our realm happened right here in Acts chapter 2, I think. As far as the overlap, because when Adam and Eve fell, it fractured that Eden point. Spiritual realm, overlap with the human realm. The Venn diagram in the middle was Eden. When Adam and Eve fell, it fractured this area, so we no longer had relationship with God, and God was working for thousands of years. And then gets to this point, Jesus dies. He gets buried. He rises again. And there's debate as to what he did exactly when he got buried, depending on if you're reading the Bible or listening to the creeds. Creed's not the 90s band, but the old documents that church people wrote. Um, and then all of a sudden, as he's ascended up into heaven... Fifty days later, Pentecost arrived. They were all there in one place. Suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing pneuma. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So, in the entire Old Testament, the Holy Spirit... The Spirit of God, the part of God that moves and, and goes around and looks and empowers some and then would go over to this person. Before, it was just the Holy Spirit could boost you up. Come on over here, Samson, be strong. Go this way, David. Listen to me over here, Daniel. But none of them were filled as you and I are filled if your faith is in Jesus Christ. And at the end of the story, they begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So a miracle happened right then, and they were proclaiming the gospel of God in languages they didn't know, and people were around here thinking, who are these people speaking our language? And that's a whole other sermon for a whole other day that we can argue about tongues, no tongues, cessation, all this stuff. That's Christian stuff. What I'm saying is this was the single largest spiritual being movement in the Bible since the very beginning. And it's the Holy Spirit of God saying, I'm going to live now in my life people who call by my name i'm putting my spirit in them so that all you other spirits no longer can touch them now this is this is where it just gets wild see they were the sons of god they were the ones who are god's spiritual family when you have the spirit of god for all who are led by the spirit of god are sons of god so now God is doing something he never did with them. You want to know why a spiritual being might rebel? You want to know why a spiritual being might want to to destroy, to steal, to kill? Because God has something for us that he intended for us that they never saw coming, the spiritual beings. They never saw it coming, that we would be sons of God, that we would be elevated from these creatures who were made from dust and breathed into, and now all of a sudden, Yahweh is saying, you are my sons of God. You've come through the door of Jesus Christ, my beloved unique son, who is me in the flesh. You've come. It's incredible. The Spirit himself bears witness. If you want a chapter to memorize, Romans 8. Best chapter in the Bible, right, Eric Young? Where are you? Where are you? There you are. Amen. It's debatable. Okay. If you're a teenager, you like Psalm 117. It's only two lines long. Anyway, um, the Spirit himself bears witness, so, so his, the Spirit, Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This is where some of you are stuck. You haven't gotten this verse into your soul. You don't believe you are worthy of love because you think that it's your ability to be worthy that God is waiting for. God is not waiting for you to clean yourself up before he adopts you in. He adopts you in, and then he Moves you away from some of the stupidity, but unfortunately, we're stuck in stupidity for most of our lives here on earth, all of our lives. But his spirit will tell you. You want to know if you're a son of God? His spirit will say, you're my child. You mess up, he's not saying, I can't believe you did that. He's saying, no, no, you're my kid still. It doesn't matter, you're mine. I made you, I saved you, I put my spirit in you and sealed you. And these, for in Christ Jesus, you are all, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. Now, the sons of God were there watching this happen, watching God build a different relationship for us, and they did not understand what was coming. And here's what gets wild. By the time of the New Testament, during the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Testament was translated to Greek. So that's where we get all of spiritual beings categorized into two categories, primarily angels and demons. And Paul tells us when he's telling the Corinthian church, you guys can't even figure this out. And this is just a little Just a little throw in. He's like, you guys can't figure out these arguments down here on on little planet rock? Don't you know that we are to judge the angels? You guys, if I'm a spiritual being, I'm a bad mammer jammer, and now this little dust bag gets to judge me? Nah, fam. Of course they're rebelling, but they still didn't get it. Now, Paul understands at this point in church history, as we're moving through the timeline, this is after Jesus is resurrected. This is after the Holy Spirit's given. This is when churches are trying to figure out things and struggle, and it's like bad news. It's basically like every church that's ever been. If you want to find a group of messed up people, just go anywhere. You'll find them, but churches have them too. And Paul says, you guys got to figure this out because we're going to judge angels, those spiritual beings. We're going to stand over them in judgment and say, you did me dirty over here, bud. You, why weren't you there? The angels and the demons, because the Bible calls us heirs with Christ. And the, the beings, see, they didn't get this. And here's why. Paul says, of his gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, to preach to the Gentiles. This is what Paul was called and gifted to do. Preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So Paul's on the scene and he goes, here's what I'm here to do. I'm here to proclaim all these things that were hidden. That God said, I'm keeping this on my secret table of planning. And I'm moving the pieces. And all these rebellious beings, they're going to come at me. They're going to try to make their own image in Genesis 6. They're going to try to stir up war and hate in Genesis 11. They're going to get, I'm going to cast them all over the earth. And then they're going to come down and they're going to try to torment my people by controlling the kings of earth. And I'm not going to let them. They're going to get all of these tribes over here to sacrifice children. And I'm going to tell my people, you go tear that thing down and then over and over and over again this rebellion of these evil beings coming down into our time on saying i'm gonna jack this up and then god's saying i've got this plan this plan is really good i'm gonna give these little fragile humans my spirit inside them so that the next time the next time someone comes at them they are not unarmed and we sit here all scared so that through the church so that through you Don't read church like we all read it. I know you guys say this. I I am fighting a losing battle. For 20 years I've been telling people, don't say we're gonna go to church. We can't go to church. There is no what time is church. When the Bible says the word church, it means us, the gathering of people. And when we leave, this isn't a church. This is just the chapel. That's specifically why I didn't put church in the name. Because we are the church. And so Paul is going to preach this mystery that was hidden by God, now revealed through Jesus, through the church, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now, be, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. They couldn't even see what was going on. The rulers and authorities in the heavenly places are exactly who Paul talks about just a few chapters later when he says, our battle's not against flesh and blood. Our battle's against the rulers in the heavenly places. You think your battle is against your political opponent? It's not. You think your battle is against some grumpy person who has the HOA tablet of death? It's not. They're being controlled by demons. No, maybe not. Okay, but it uh, feels that way sometimes. Okay. But God, through Paul, is saying, look, they didn't even know it. They were coming in trying to emulate God, copy God, distract God, destroy what God made. And the whole time, God's like, ha, 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 you just wait. I'm going to put my spirit in these people that you tried to mess up in the garden. You don't even know what's coming. I can't. I just, I don't. God has, must have such a good sense of humor to hold a secret. For that long. Some of y'all are bad secret keepers. You know who you are, right, Bree? She's bad. I'm, just, yeah, I'm, just, I'm just like, I'm just but certain people, like I've known you for a long time, so when you're keeping a secret, I'm like, mm, girl, lying, you know. But some of you are pretty good at it, unfortunately. Uh, some of my children are, are terrifyingly good at lying. That's why I had to put a camera on their play area where they always fight. Now, here's what happens now God's making it known because now they can't be stopped. It can't be stopped. His plan cannot be thwarted. And what's interesting is that we have just now, okay, now we know we are gods. We're sealed by this literal spiritual presence that envelops us, that fills us, that is changing the way that we think so that we can now look at something and say, gosh, that might not be of God. You see, none of the people in the Old Testament had what we have now after Christ. So when Paul says these things, he's not saying this is a cognitive exercise. He says, look, Now you have this Holy Spirit. I want you to see to it. Pay attention that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Don't don't let people take you captive by using big words. Just because someone has a college degree doesn't mean they're the smartest person in the room. Amen? Don't let anyone lie to you empty deceit. So people will, in this day and age, the lies are so abundant. I feel like I can't even get my head above water when trying to read the news. When, and if you read any news article today, any news article, it's opinion, 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 a tiny little line about what happened, and then a bunch more opinion. And it's always to get you or me to believe this way and not that way. It's empty deceit. Don't let anyone take you captive. Don't let anyone hold you in prison according to human tradition. That's, I'm just, there's a bunch I can go after. I'm just going to go after one. The church has so many traditions that are not found in the Bible that it terrifies me. It terrifies me. The amount of traditions that we have and that we create. We, we go to Band of Brothers and, um, It's right across from um, St. Stephen's. And this is not bag on Catholic Day. I didn't mean for it to come out this way. It's not, uh, because this is not just Catholic churches. It's Protestant churches. It's Methodist. It's Baptist. It's non-denomination. It's Calvary Chapel. Every church, including this church, will be prone to lean into human tradition. The tradition that says, you're not good enough to be loved by God. The tradition that says, if you want God's approval or God's acceptance, you must do A, B, C, D. E F G, and then God will finally accept you. Human traditions say that if you go to a church that uses not the King James version of the Bible, human tradition says. In the nineteen in 1992, human tradition said drums are of the devil, literally. And now human tradition would say, this thing is wrong. This thing, our way is right. Be on team us. Edwin talked about how we're the coolest family church family. And it's true. You guys, this is not human tradition. We are the best and the humblest, and I love you. If you have a child here, for example, it is statistically proven your child is 17% cuter than if you have a baby while part of another church. It's just true. It's true. Amen. You see, the human tradition gets in the way. There are many things that are good, but are they Beneficial. I've told you this and I need to say it more. I'm more concerned that you're connected with other believers throughout the week than you attend on Sunday. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I want you to know it is vastly more important that you're either connecting one to one or a group of three or four or a micro church of 12, 15, 20. It is vastly more important. My soul craves Saturday morning. It's one of the few gatherings where I can show up and I'm not primarily a pastor. I'm just Part of Bob, Bob means the band of brothers. I had a dream, Skip, that I uh, won the lottery and bought a boat, and I named the boat Bob. So I think it might have come true in the future. Because I, I love that moment, because at, at Bob, I'll say something, and Eric will be like, nah. Or he'll say some quirky thing, and Craig and Charlie will start to talk about different pastors they both like, and underneath the table, they're opening their Swiss Army knives. And then someone will say something, before you know it, Daniel's crying. My allergies are bothering me. We're looking around. The new person there is like, what is going on? And, And all we do, it's so simple. Like if you're like, okay, I hear you. It's important, because like church tradition says, come sit in rows, face forward, listen to Guy. Um, I, I'd rather you do, like what we do at Bob is so simple, we pick a book of the Bible, and I tell them, it's a democracy, let's all choose it together, but every time I guide them. They've been trying to get me to James for years, I'm just, guide them away, I'm just kidding. James is a book that gives me the heebie-jeebies. Don't get me wrong, I know it's half of y'all's favorite book, I'm just saying. I'm gonna be honest, I don't like it as much as Romans, okay? <laughs> So we, we read a book of the Bible, and we, we literally do this. Okay, guys, let's start reading until someone thinks we're far enough. And we'll just read, like, like, if Eric's not there, we'll read, like, five to ten verses, okay? If Eric's there, we'll be like, thus says the Lord. Stop. Eric says, stop. You guys, we got to study that word. What word? The. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I love you so much. This is why we're family. This is why I like this. Jackson's always like, we... Don't you just want to grow the church? I'm like, no, man, I worked at big churches. That's a headache. I got enough headaches with y'all here. I got a prescription for Motrin, okay? But Bob, we just read, and then I'll say something like this. So what stood out to you guys? What jumped out? In some weeks, it's humdrum, boobity-boobity-boo. But other weeks, it's like, boom. I've been holding this anger for 12 years. And God did this this last week. And this is why this passage just pulled this out. And then it's like, ah. And then Daniel and Craig are crying again. And Charlie's theologizing us. And Eric's saying, got to keep moving on the passage. And I'm like, let's jump over here. And then the new people are like, what's that? And we have these side con- You guys, it's beautiful. I love it. And I hope you have that in your life. Because the human tradition is going to get you to say, what you did today is enough. And you're done now. You don't have to do any more. But here's the last one that is creepy don't let anyone hold you captive according to the elemental spirits there are spiritual beings still on the loose not the ones that got imprisoned but other ones that fell at the birth of jesus you wonder why you saw so many demonic activity in the new testament is because at the birth of jesus in romans 12 we see that satan was like god's doing something we got to fight back now a third of them go down all of a sudden demons are everywhere You're like where were they in the old testament there's like three mentions and now they're everywhere every corner yes because they didn't know what God was up to, but they knew it was something and that the ones who had rebelled, it was against them and that they would end up in judgment because Matthew 25 says, the eternal fires were prepared for the devil and his angels. So humans weren't the primary, God wasn't like, I'm making hell for bad humans. No, no. God said, I'm making hell for rebellious spiritual beings and all of the humans that follow those spiritual beings will follow them Pied Piper style into eternal torment apart from me. The elemental spirits are to this day, to this day, doing the same exact tricks that they did in the Old Testament. You want, you want want good crops for your people? Sacrifice to me instead of to God, and I'll give you good crops. Crops back then were money, and now we just look to the God of money. You see, empty philosophies, empty deceit, human traditions could be the American dream. It's not bad, but if it's something that's holding you captive from God, it is incredibly bad it is the worst thing and the elemental spirits are alive and active today we are not battling against flesh and blood but against powers and principalities over this present dark age spiritual beings are coming to mess us up and and i'm i've just sort of turned into a more and more like you know that word the old word fundamentalist i used to tell people i put the fun in fundamentalist but now, as I've gotten older, I think I put the mental and fundamentalist, okay? <laughs> and I think, like, oh. like d- Demons are doing the exact same thing. That child sacrifice? Check. Pursuing money as your sense of security? Check. And some of you all are freaking out right now. Everyone here that reads the news is like, the US dollar is going to collapse. Bitcoin is the devil's currency. Elon Musk is gonna implant you with a Neuralink that will upload your soul to the pits of hell heaven. And we don't even know what to say anymore. And we're like, you know who can save us? Yeah, Jesus. Thank you, Daniel. It's not even, it should be Yeshua. We should change all the signs to all about Yeshua. Anyway, the elemental spirits are coming for all of us. Just a couple more. The spirit himself, if you're wondering, how do I know how can I survive in this? If I can't even see who I'm fighting. If I'm, if I'm out here and I'm, I'm swinging blindfolded, you're not swinging blindfolded. See, the Spirit will bear witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We follow the line of Christ. We will suffer as Christ suffered. Then we will be glorified as Christ was glorified. And we stand as heirs. This is the great audacity that the God of the Bible has, that he would create dust people and then elevate them throughout the span of human history and spiritual history to where we now stand As heirs with Christ, looking at the spiritual beings and judging those who have rebelled against God. And this is why looking at the spiritual realm is mind-blowing to me because they're still coming for you. They're trying to get you to not see yourself as a child of God. They're trying to get you to not believe in your salvation. They're trying to get you to say, you are not, there's no world where you've done enough goodness that God could possibly adopt you in. And the whole time, God's spirit's like, no, 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 no. They're mine. Demons can't enter us. Why? Because we are inhabited. Demons can go around us. Evil spirits, unclean spirits can speak negative things to us. They can plot against us. But we stand with Christ. And when Christ resurrected, he said, all authority in heaven, the spiritual realm, and on earth, the physical realm, is mine. And I will never leave you. So when you go out today and you feel like, man, those devils are coming for me. They can't come far. My youngest brother, every time he comes, tries to fight me, just straight up. Not like fist fight, like a wrestle. He wants to tussle with the muscle, you guys. (laughs) He's 24, he's a big, broad-shouldered guy. And and here's how it works usually, he looks at me, And he's like, kind of goofy, but then all of a sudden he does that thing, like his eyes turn into a puma. And I'm like, no, 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 no. The last time he was here, he was going unconscious before my mom was hitting me and saying, let go of your little brother, let go of, she calls him my baby. And I'm like, I'm your baby. I made you a mom. Let go of my, so yesterday I'm thinking, okay, this is the second time I've seen him since he's visited, so I'm keeping an eye out, because I've punished my younger brother's Probably immorally, okay. Just like uh, beat them when they were younger, nicely. Don't call CPS on me. They're grown now. They're healthy. They love me. Um. He didn't come for me because I made a little mini image of me, Jackson. Jackson's like almost six feet tall now. He's a tender six foot. Okay, he's like five eleven. And uh, and so Noah sits on Silas, and then Jackson is like, "I'm going to protect my little brother, Silas." So then Jackson jumps on Noah. And he's like, ah, and they're fighting. And then Noah flips Jackson right into his head. And then I stand up, just dun, 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 and my mom comes right out. No, don't hurt my baby. <laughs> she knew I was gonna ruin his little existence in front of he just he's, he brought his girlfriend down here to meet the family. So I was gonna do a full humbling. Now, you may look at me and be like, Ryan, I could take you. You're delusional, but let me tell you the point of that whole story. (laughs) He knew right away. As soon as I stood up, I saw all of the psychological damage I had put into his early years come to the front of his eyes. Mom knew. No, 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 no. Because my little, my middle brother, he could probably kill us all. He was an army ranger. He's built like King Leonidas. I'm built like a Slurpee straw, like one of the paper ones, okay? I just, ah! But when I got up, every, everyone knew in the little situation, like, uh-oh, if Ryan starts this, like Noah ends up sleeping and crying and my, my mom's hitting him. Get off my baby. See, when, when anything comes at you, anything in this life, anything, and I'm just the older brother, Jesus, the Bible says, is your older brother. The father is now your father. Like, as much... As I am the father of my children, it's vastly incomparable to how intimate God has intertwined his life into you. Because he literally says, I'm giving you my very spirit. So when you're walking around, like nowadays we walk around and, and I'll think, well, this is how my mom would want me to do this. How my mom would want me to do that. And my little brothers will sometimes tell me, my middle brother will say, yeah, I just thought you wouldn't like it if I did that. I thought, yeah, good job. Way to listen to my advice, my child. But when I got up they were scared and just in the same way when evil comes at you this week, you don't have to be scared because there's someone so much bigger, so much stronger who has all authority who says no, 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 no. I've already dealt with this whole spiritual timeline and I won. So now all they can do is just come at you and it's almost, it's almost comical if they weren't such dangerous beings and they will still come for you and you will still be victorious, but study Ephesians 6 this week, the Bible studies online. You can go to the menu and click on Weekly Goodies, the first blog will say Study Guide, and it just has you walk through a study of of how to battle these spiritual beings who are still thrashing around trying to take your life and soul. So that's it for the timeline, you guys. We're gonna be wrapping up this series on Easter. It's coming up, I don't like calling it Easter because it's Oestra, the goddess of fertility from the Saxon gods, it's one of those weird things. And we've hijacked it and we do bunnies and eggs. Uh, It is Resurrection Sunday, but I'll call it Easter. It's April 9th. Um, You don't have to invite people if you don't want to. Invite some people if you do. We're gonna look at Easter from the lens of the spiritual beings that were involved in the Easter story and looking at where Jesus went and what Jesus did to the best of our ability when he died and was dead and resurrected. And then we'll close out our Elohim series. So, Keep that in mind. It's coming up two weeks, two Sundays, um, and then we'll just keep on going. We'll be family, right, Dave? Be family, right, Dave? Be family. I wish I had just a few more Daves. I just got all the way back. <laughs> Let's pray, Lord. I'm sorry that I stole Nate's slot for singing, and I pray that he would um, that he would lead us in worship as he facilitates fellowship as he cleans up his guitar. I pray for each person here that as we just do the normal things that we were already going to do, picking up our kids, that we would remember that as we show love to one another, it's an act of worship. As we point toward you, it is an act of worship. As we meet a new person, it is an act of worship. And every time we worship you, Lord, the rebellious spiritual beings, they can't touch this. As we operate and walk by the power of your spirit, We walk in your authority, which is all the authority, the greatest older brother, the most protective father. And I'm grateful for that. So, Lord, we give our lives to you in the midst of this cosmic battle that is waging on right now, above us and below us and around us. Help us to walk with confidence, knowing that we are yours and you are ours. In Jesus' name, amen.